Welcome. Hi, Verana. I'm waiting for everyone to join audio. Hi, Karen, Carol. I'm just going to shout out a few names. Roberta, Leah, Miss Claire. Hi, my name is Stanford. Uh, I am a doctor, medical doctor, trained in maternity medicine before, uh, currently working in psychiatry. I'm also a yoga teacher and I'm also a yoga therapist trainee under Colin. Um, so here, of course, tonight I'm with Colin and also two of our lovely helpers, uh, Lauren and Paul, who will be monitoring the chat throughout. So if there's any question, technical or otherwise, please put them into the chat. I'll try to keep an eye on the chat as well. So if there's any question you want to shout out, we can incorporate into what we're talking about throughout the whole thing. Anyway, let's call in. Hi guys. Um, yeah, thank you, Stanford. Um, I'm a yoga therapist, um, spent last 25 years um, working with people, um, teaching yoga, teaching group classes, teaching one-to-one -one, and helping people using yoga therapy as well. Um, now, I have a question for Stanford. Now, we've got this idea of diet today. Um, so ideas for diet. And I think what we want to do is look at diet in two different ways. One way is to look at it from a Western perspective and the other is to look at it from a yoga perspective. And I was cursing you. And I'm really sorry to say this, but I'm just, why diet? Why did you pick such a difficult and complicated subject matter for this time of year? I, well, first of all, I always like talking about food. I'm Chinese, I can't help it. We talk about food while we're eating it, while we're cooking it, while we're preparing it, while we're shopping for it, and after we've been eating it as well. So that's just habits. And also I think, as you said, this is the time of year where everyone's talking about food all the time in general. You know, we're talking about celebration, we are eating, we are drinking, we are, hopefully, I know it's a difficult time with COVID and isolation, we are celebrating with each other over food and uh, share quality time. But also at the same time, I think it's a time where people give a little bit of a break on themselves, uh, for themselves, sorry, um, on any diets that they're following. That tends to be shelved for about a month and then we'll pick it up in January. So I think it's just a good opportunity for us to talk about diet now. So maybe come January, if you have decided to, and you really don't have to, I think that would be my message. If you decided to take on a diet, maybe have a new perspective on what that, what that diet may mean or what that diet may look like. Um, Colin, why are you cursing me about talking about food then? Well, I'm cursing you because it is, in yoga, it's pretty complicated. And I wanted to go through numbers of different reasons why it's so complicated, actually to flesh out the whole playing field about yoga and diet, um, to look at a person, because there's something interesting. There's a, there's a relationship that we have with food but also there's the opposite way around. Food has a relationship with us and yoga as well. So it's like a two-way relationship between us and food and food and us. And why I'm cursing you is that really to understand it, it, it it's hugely important because it's one of the biggest questions that I often get asked. You know, what should I be eating? What should I have for breakfast? What should I have for lunch? What should I have for dinner? you know, I don't have a problem with food. I feel bloated. I feel this, I feel that. In fact, I can read out, and I will do later on, a list of things that people say around food and their relationship with food. Not only is it the sort of the biggest question that people ask is they actually want a quick fix to food. They actually want to have the, the, the sort of almost the, the, and I think all of us do the kind of the recipe about what to have so that actually I've got food sorted tick but it's not as easy as that it's actually a little more complicated and that's what I'm hoping to go into today but my first question for you if you don't mind me just asking your question back again because I, I think you're in that kind of mood what, what what how do you define diet I think that's what's the second question that you asked me, but never mind. Uh, so my <laughs> <laughs> diet, I think it's a specific regime of eating. I think that will be why I classify as a diet and um, something that, you know, you kind of stick to, you adhere to for a certain reason, maybe because of pleasure, maybe because of um, your body constitution, sometimes disease perhaps, especially after surgery for certain medical condition, you have to adhere to a certain diet. Um, so yeah, I think everyone has a slightly different reason to eat what they eat. 
And like, I'm just going to take myself, for example, I eat everything. I eat meat, I eat fish, vegetables, seafood, chocolate, wine, literally everything. And, um, and for me over the years with, you know, 30 odd years of experiments, that seems to work the best. I have been on like a fruit only cleanse diet twice because of certain programs that I was doing. Uh, the first time I barely made it to the third day, and I'm kidding you not, on the fourth day, first thing I've done after I've done some exercises, gone for a bacon sandwich. So clearly not for me. I have such craving for food, and I don't usually even like bacon. I don't really, you know, have bacon all the time. Uh, and the second time I did the same diet, I actually... Um, got sick on the second day, second day of the three-day cleanse. So I know personally, I actually need to eat a range of everything. And I think it's that concept that maybe certain people will say certain diets good for you uh, or we work for them. However, I think it takes a bit of experimenting to see does it actually work for you yourself? You know, your body tends to tell, tell you. How about you, Colin? What's your diet like? Oh, my diet's appalling. Um... I find it very interesting. I want to pick up on what you just said later on about cleanses. I want to sort of see if we, we can do this. We can discuss this just a little bit later about cleanses, about myths associated with food. Um, thank you for defining diet. I, I, I want to, from a yoga perspective, what I'd like to do is I, I'd like to sort of define it in the way that it's almost it's the ability to understand or even be aware of what's needed and when, in what quantity based on the need and not a want. So for me, there's a number of things that are going on with diet. Uh, is, is that it's the ability to understand and be aware is the first thing. The second thing for me is to understand what's needed and when. So it's looking at numbers of different variables associated with this. And then it's in, in what quantities. So it's not sort of defining this food or that food, it's, it's looking at the quantities with it. And also all of these things based on a need, not based on a want, which means we start to understand there's also psychology associated with food and diet. Um, so for me, this is a, a sort of a framework to start with, with regard to looking at food and, to, and looking at diet as well. Uh, I think there are numbers of myths around food and a number of myths around diet and I don't know shall I start or where would you like to start maybe I sort of go for it go for it really my I think mine might be a monologue actually for a very long time we have an hour <laughs> is that a threat or a promise no it's most certainly not okay <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's a if we take a bigger picture within within yoga, it, it, we, we sort of we, we have sort of two areas. We've got um, we've got us. You see, you've got your your body. This is called sharira. It, it means um, that which will eventually be worn out. So it's something that will eventually be worn out. That's constructed of two different things. It's constructed of a gross body and a subtle body. So it's the physiology and also the psychology. So you've got this sort of this construct here. And this construct is, is made of five different, according to yoga, five different um, elements, Panchabhuta. And the Panchabhuta, these five elements are the physics of the primary matter itself. So how this physics of this primary matter comes together. Now, not only the body is made of this, but everything in the world is made of this. So you've got the body made of this, and you've got everything in the world made of this. And it means that there becomes a relationship between everything in the world and the body. So it means that we need to understand something with regard to the sharira, the, the actual body itself. We need to understand something with regard to the elements in the world. And all the elements in the world are constructed of different qualities. So they're just constructed of what we call different guna, which are different qualities. So they're hot, they're cold, they're rough, they're smooth. They, so we've got the material and the material, each of the materials are different qualities. So it means that each of these things within the world also have different tastes as well. So we've got our body, we've got everything in the world, and everything was constructed of the same matter as our bodies. We've then got 
all the different qualities of these things within the world to consider. And there's 20 different qualities we need to consider. Um, and then there's the relationship that we also have with those with us. And then there's the taste that those have on our system. And it's by the taste that we come to change the system. So this is called Shadrasa. It means we have six different tastes. We've got tastes such as sweet, we've got tastes such as salty, we've got tastes such as sour. And what these do is they actually create an increase of the system. And then we've also got three other tastes, bitter, astringent and pungent, which create a decrease within the system. So why I'm saying this becomes quite complicated is that suddenly we have to understand each system and each person's system is unique. And then we start to have to understand as a, as a yogi, we have to understand that we've got these different qualities similar out into the world. We've got these different tastes that each thing has on our system to change the quality of our system. So it means that any product coming from outside of us can be useful to us because what it does is that every quality from outside of us has a taste that can influence the system. So it can create expansions and contractions of our system. So it means that we have the outside, we have this sharira, this kind of body, but we need to understand how, how the cooking process occurs through the system once the taste and once it comes into the system, because diet affects each system differently based on how the system cooks the food. Does that make sense, Stanford? Yep, listening yep. still. Okay, I'm just checking that you're still with me. Um, so, I need to understand how things cook. That means I have to understand the way that I take it in. I need to understand the way that it's actually assimilated into the system. I need to understand what's digested and what's actually eliminated from the system as well. So it's almost that what I need to do is I need to understand the science of transformation when I'm discussing food and diet within the whole process of this coming in. And so this is for me is just the start, but I want to hand over to you so that I don't kind of bore you to too much depth. Um, but this is the start. This is the kind of framework, just the outside framework that I want to begin with, with regard to food and diet. Does this make any sense? Do you have any questions or is this? Perfect. I think looking at how many people are nodding their heads, I don't think you're boring anyone either. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick up a few things and I definitely done the right thing to ask you to open this time and stuff. I usually go into my scientific one. Um, <laughs> just because <I've, laughs> I, I want to pick up on one thing that actually, it is kind of science-based, but it's more here to Chinese medicine instead of the Western medicine thing that you, picked, you said before. It's about uh, how we are affected by the food, but we're also affected by the, um, the food itself. So basically it's a reciprocal relationship, if I understand you correctly. And I think that is one of the things that I try to do myself, if you ask me truthfully what my diet is, is to eat with the season. I know it sounds really simple, but at the, you know, nowadays it's getting harder and harder to do because we all shop in the supermarket. And if you go to supermarket, you get food from all over the world, you get good produce at you know, different time of years, you get tomatoes all the time, potatoes all the time and things like that. And there's nothing wrong about them. They're still very, very nutritious. However, I think when you actually eat with the season, you actually take in certain, I'm going to be a little bit more vague and just say like energy or elements from the food that you need right at that um, season. I was thinking about this and just like, how can I put it out eloquently and more scientifically? So say in winter, like right now, when it's freezing cold, what does animal do? They eat, they eat as much as they can, build up their fat level so that they can conquer the weather, so they can stay warm. So when we eat them, we basically take in what we need as well, because this is the time where we all need to build a little bit more fat. You know, it's normal and it's good so that you can, you know, stay with the weather. At the same time, you also take in all the fat soluble vitamins and things like that. That's actually you need at this time. And same for vegetables. I'm going to do it for the same because we all know in wintertime, autumn time, it's best to have roots, vegetables, Reason being, because this is the time all the plants actually don't have as much sunlight. So in order for them to preserve their life, they draw all the nutrients and all their elements into the root. So that's why they taste much sweeter at around this time of year. And that's why they're so good. But at the same time, we need these energy. We need all these nutrients that they've been collecting over the years, um, the whole year and the whole seasons. And I think personally, that may be why it's good to eat 
along um, with the weather and the season itself, like in spring when everything's growing again, including infectious disease, including um, you know, a whole host of different medical conditions, actually not just limited to human beings, but also to animals, to plants, you know, to different life forms once again. So we all rush to get sunlight, different nutrients once again, getting our vitamins up, getting, getting our mineral balanced. And once again, I think that's why actually there is something about going along with the season it has a good effect. Um, I think I'm going to diverge a little bit onto, because I touched up on it already, like meat and uh, vegetables and things like that. And I think one of the myths that Colin wanted to bust today was about does all yogis have to go vegan? So again, I personally doesn't go vegan or vegetarian. As I said already, I eat everything. Um, I found a lot of celebrity diet as part of this research and most of them really fascinate me. I can put a few links if you want to read about them. I wouldn't really recommend most of them to be completely honest but that's based on my constitution. But one of the specifically is uh, called blood group or fat diet, if you have heard of it. It's devised by someone called Peter J. De Adamo. Just before you're gonna rush out and follow it, it has already been disproven. So it's not a good diet for most people to follow. However, I think it's a good concept that we need to think about. He actually divided people according to their blood group. So say type O, he, they, uh, he said that actually you can eat everything. You're you know, the truth or omnivore, but you probably want to have more high protein diet, lean meat, poultry, fish and vegetables. Type A uh, is apparently vegetarian or even go vegan. That's better for them. They have a very sensitive immune system. So it's better to, you know, be very, very clean with quotation on their diet. Type B, which is myself, uh, again, you are, are minimal, so you can basically have everything. Um, avoid corn, wheat, buckwheat, lentils, apparently. I usually do anyway. Uh, and type AB, also um, kind of a little bit more like a pescatarian, so you can focus on seafood, tofu, diary. So I'm not saying this diet and spelling it out just so that we can all follow it. I'm spelling it out to say it's a good concept we all know that we are different from our blood group, from our gender, from our ethnicity, from where we grow up, what we've been brought up with. And it is actually quite a good thing to think about actually that are all the factors can contribute what diet is good for us, what diet is bad for us. And perhaps there's not one diet that can fit all of us. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what most of the time media or I don't know, fashion magazine want us to believe, you know, the diet magazine, they usually say, this is the one food that's now the superfood. Everyone should go eat that. Maybe that's a myth. I don't know. Colin, what do you think? What I really like is I like the areas that you've covered because they really do highlight how individual the relationship we have with food is and the relationship that food has with us is. And how we get drawn by food. I mean, you've, you've articulated something very well. Um, one is with regard to seasons, which is, is very interesting, especially when, you know, we're in winter and, you know, we're being sort of promoted something from Australia, which is in the middle of their summer. And they're saying, you know, eat this salad or eat this thing or, or do this type of thing. So I really like what you're saying with regard to seasons, but I, I, I want to just drop back and add some more variables to the individual what we have to consider when we consider diet because we've got the individual we've got the individual with regard to their construct and their makeup we've got this idea of food out into the world we've got the way that the person actually processes or cooks food through their system because we can take food in most of us can take good quality food in you know in fact quality is not our issue it really isn't our issue I, I think that actually we've got some of the best quality food around that we've ever had i really do believe that i i actually think there's more issues with regard to the processes that happen through the system than there is with the food that we're putting into the system um so to understand and have the ability to understand what happens pre-digestion, digestion and post-digestion really informs what goes on with diet. So it's broken into these three different levels and these three areas because food has this effect post, during and also pre. 
And the other thing is that to understand how congestion occurs within the system, to be aware of congestion within the system. So when you take a particular food in, I remember so clearly, I was working with this lady and she's like, I juice every single morning. I was like, fantastic. But she goes, I've got this bloating, you know, this real, real bloating. And I said to her, well, what's in your juice? You know, explain it. She's like, lists all the ingredients. And she goes, and she goes, kale. I said, kale? And in, in yoga, kale is, it's rough. So it's, it's very, it's a very rough, you know what I mean? It's that kind of surface. It's very rough. It's rough. It's hard. It's dry. And it causes quite an issue in the system. Actually, it was horse food, but we won't talk about that. Um, it, it, it creates an issue in the system. And so I said to her, Look, please, please, can you drop the kale from it? And she was like really offended because this was like a special juice that had been put together. And she followed the formula every day so that she had all the nutrients she needed. She removed the kale from the system, bloating stopped. So it's to understand the idea, it's, it's this idea of, Arma dosha to understand how congestion goes occurs within the system. So we have to see signs of congestion in the system to understand what's happening with what we're taking into the system. And we also have to understand this other idea called tridosha. We have to understand our unique constitution. We have to understand our constitution, which is the, the you know, we, we've everything that we do has to be adapted to our constitution, and our constitution is something that it's it's part of us on an ongoing basis it's also something that as we get older what we ate when we were younger we will find will not work for us when we're older and so i actually find a lot of people that come to me they come and they say you know what, colin i love crisps i say really I really love crisps and, and but the thing is is that I can't seem to eat them anymore you know I used to love eating them when I was younger and and I can't seem to eat them and so what happens is that as we get older the foods that we relied on when we were younger we end up not being able to rely on them when we're older which means that our diet needs to change it needs to change through our age and through the environment that we're in and also the situations that we're in as well so we're starting to see that actually as part of working with food working with diet we're having to sort of start to consider not just sort of simple things which are okay this is the food it's got this fat in it it's got this protein in it it's got this carbohydrate it's got this but actually it's a little more complicated than that and what worked for us last year may not work for us this year what worked for you pre-lockdown may not work for you during lockdown. It, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So we start to see that actually we need to understand our priority, the physical profile of what we've got, which means that we're understanding our physical profile, our psychological behaviour, and also the morphology of what we've got, who we are. So this for me sort of starts to build the framework out of understanding food and diet a little bit more because the way that food runs through the system is that according to yoga is it runs through in steps through the system to nourish the system and it takes these saptadati these seven steps to run through the system to nourish all the different levels of the system and so we need to start to understand the interaction of different substances and how they come to affect us. So for me, this is like the starting point. The final two things to add to this on the starting point are to understand our agni, our metabolism, how the everything to do with the, the metabolizing or the combustion aspect of everything, whether it increases or decreases. And so this for me is, is is the final one of the final things to look at and the one as a therapist to look at is to understand the pulse the nadi pariksha nadi vijnana so it's to understand by feeling the pulse what's actually happening in the internal organs within the system so 
if I sum up from a yoga perspective, why I was cursing you earlier on today, Stanford, is that in a way you've got a being. You've got this being, this person that's come together. It's made of all these different elements. There's all this food that's come together. It's got a, a physiology, it's got a psychology. And there's a relationship between the psychology and the physiology, which we'll come to look at in a moment, because we've got a very strange relationship with food because it means so much to us in many different ways. And sometimes there's an excess of rules, control, and sometimes there's also a lack of rules with regard to this. And then there's the way that we take all these substances in the world, we process them and identify them or we put them in and then we put them into us. And then that gets processed through us. And then some of it gets absorbed into us and some of it gets rejected from us. So there's a whole series of sort of processes that need to happen and need to work in the right way. And if this internal process isn't working well, what starts to happen, and whether that's to do with the actual physiology or whether it's to do with the psychology affecting the physiology you can have the best food in the world you know you can take all the best 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 food but quite frankly if it cannot be assimilated into the system it will just be eliminated and you'll be flushing it down the toilet um so that was my small monologue just to finish off would that be okay i that was perfect and i think your case and what you just said is exactly the reason why I picked diet for D. Uh, I think it was an Ayurveda saying that I picked up from one of the conferences. Um, it says, if you eat the right food, you don't need medicine. If you're eating the wrong food, no amount of medicine will help you. And I think that's a perspective that a Chinese medicine share, because as we talked about a lot of the time, um, food is actually part of medical system. You know, it is part of medicine and a lot of the food should be used as medical and um, it should be used as medicine and not so sparsely in a culture. We can talk about garlic. I, we, we always end up talking about garlic when we talk to this point. But I think that's something that Western medicine wouldn't be so focused or concerned about. Like if your case come to my clinic, I don't know why coming to psychiatrist for bloating, but let's just say that she did. I, I wouldn't, I never thought of going into, okay, actually you need to cut out kale. Well, it's actually, that's the one thing that she can very easily do and can actually help herself a lot. And instead of having, you know, a whole host of different medicine, investigation, blood tests, so on and so forth. And that's why I think it's very, very important because I think I'm exploring it myself because of my background and my brought up and my own habits. But I think it's a good topic to talk about, especially around this time of year, just before we hit 2021 as well. Um, just to share a little bit more about Chinese medicine as well before I go into garlic, um, because I think that's probably one of the best diet that I would recommend if anyone want to, you know, check out any new diet. Um, so in Chinese medicine, we see food into the five elements, slightly different to the Ayurveda one, which is the metal, the wood, water, fire, and also earth. So they all have a correlating taste. Uh, metal, spicy, uh, because it goes towards your lungs. Also, one organs that it goes towards is the skin as well as the large intestine. So anything spicy, it'll kind of open up your pores as you sweat, makes your bowel move a little bit more. Perhaps you hyperventilate a little bit as you uh, eat spicy food as well. Uh, sour is for uh, wood, because from the tree, from the plants, they tend to have um, the tree bark itself or some of the fruits, they have that sour taste. Water is salty because water correlates to kidneys. So salt, electrolytes, water, they kind of go towards each other. Fire, apparently it's bitter because it goes to the heart. Apparently bitterness can be a good medicine to the heart and I'm gonna leave it on that. And also last one, earthly food, which is sweet food, as we said earlier on, especially around this time of year. And I think we can all understand. Um, and I think the concept goes you have to have a balance between the five elements and again i work on slightly more physical elements sometimes maybe energetic and seasonal i think colin works a lot deeper and he can definitely go into that or about that for you later but i think um if you're looking into any diet one of the ones that i found is called the five factor diet which is by a celebrity trainer harley I'm going to say this wrong, past technique. Um, so basically, he just said that you, in all the meals that you have, have something protein, have something healthy fat, something healthy carb, fiber, and a sugar-free drink. So kind of just 
balancing a bit of everything, making sure that you have taken a little bit of everything in. Now, obviously, over time, once you experiment a little bit, maybe, oh, actually, maybe on certain days, I can cut out a little bit more on protein, certain days I can cut out a little bit more on fat, certain days I can cut out a bit more carbs, so on and so forth, certain days I need more water. And I think just having that concept in mind, probably it's gonna be quite a good idea. Um, but that's just my suggestions. Um, Colin, can you go a little bit deeper then now? Shall we move? I'm going to come back into some of the food group like fat and carbohydrate. I've got something more to talk about that, but I'll let you go deeper for now. I think everyone's yearning for that. Thank you. Um, what I really liked is, is this idea of, of good fat. Um, and I think that good fat is very important. According to yoga, fat is longevity. It provides longevity into the system. And that's why I like the idea of fat, but we're taught so often to cut fat out of the system. And so fat becomes very important, good fats become very important with a diet. You mentioned five elements. Uh, we, we, uh, we look at six tastes, and so we, we bring all the foods down to six tastes and sort of so understand food, ahara. To understand food, it's the knowledge of the action of food and it always starts with the chandrasa the sixth taste and so we've got this idea of sweet okay sweet taste and sweet taste is 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 you know things like wheat oats dates you know basil you know these are sweet in nature and then we've also got salty um so salt like salt flavor crisps um celery, sea salt, this type of thing. Then you've also got um, sour, so you've got lemons and tomatoes. Um, then you've got bitter, things like turmeric, coffee. Then we've got um, other tastes such as astringent, which is, you know, things like pomegranate. Um, and then we have pungent tastes such as onions. So what we find is that we've got these six tastes. Three of them actually come to sort of increase they, they create increases of mass when there's a system so and then we've also got tastes that decrease mass within the system as well so you've got expanding and contracting and a meal should have all six tastes within it but when we start to look at diets and the way that people are working with foods when we ask someone, and what I do is I often ask people to do a food diary. You know, that kind of thing where you sort of say, I'd like you to keep a food diary. And the person kind of looks at you and goes, mm -hmm, I'm going to be really honest. Of course, I'm going to keep a food diary. And, and in the food diary, they always kind of skip out the, I was just so funny. There's this one lady that I work with with a food diary. And um, she said, I've got a confession. So what's this? She goes, I've got a Milky Way addiction. And she would order like 40 Milky Ways like 40 seriously i know i know but she was so skinny okay 40 and she would she would have like two a day and she goes colin i've got a bit of a problem and so when we started to go through her food diet and started to go through stuff i was like you know what there's something missing from it she's like no i just couldn't put it on there i couldn't be truthful i couldn't put the two milky ways i was having a day on there because it's quite revealing when you do a food diet, when you actually sit there and you start to write out actually what it is that you're eating and start to look at the taste associated with it. And often realising that what we're doing is we're using the same taste again and again. It tends to be sweet again and again and again and again. It's quite interesting when you sort of see it. So you kind of start the day with oats, sweet. You kind of, you run around, you do different things and you kind of, I'll quickly grab a sandwich. Sweet. Because it's bread. It's sweet. And then you know, for dinner, you kind of go, I'll have something really healthy. I'll have sweet potato with sweet. And we suddenly we start to see that actually what we're doing is we're constantly repeating the same things again and again, or the same food groups again and again. And that's what I start to see a lot of as well. So we actually sort of start the day with, with like a croissant and then go through to a sandwich and then in the day with pasta. And actually it's the same food group again and again, but it looks different, but it's exactly the same. It's all sweet right the way through the system. So for me, Sanford, what you just discussed with regard to this is 
super interesting, but we have to start to expose it. We have to start to create an awareness about what's going on because almost in a way, we need to start to write it out to actually own what's starting to happen. And the next thing that I do associated with this is that I ask people to write next to it their emotion. And they say, well, yeah, I need you to put your emotion next to it, like a happy face, a sad face, this type of face. Now, the reason for this is that our relationship, remember, we've got a relationship with food. Food has a relationship with us. We're taking this stuff, we're putting it into our system. We are relying on this system to work automatically, but we've got a very powerful brain and we've got a very powerful heart. And with the powerful brain, and the powerful heart, that starts to affect the quality of how the fire in the system is working, how the metabolism in the system is working. So we take this food and dependent on our emotion, things start to act quite differently. You know, there's these what we call Navarasa, there's these nine sort of emotions that we sort of combine with these six different tastes. So there's this idea that if I feel, and these sort of emotions are things like love, joy, sorrow, anger, courage, fear, disgust, surprise, peace. The emotion that we take with food affects the whole way that food runs through the system. And so again, it's one of those situations where you can have a diet one day and it has one effect, you can put yourself under a huge amount of pressure and stress or feeling particular emotions in a particular way. And those emotions can go in either direction. They can be ones of complete joy or complete like this. And you'll start to see there's a change in our desire for diet based on the expansion and the contraction of this or the interference from the mind as well. So I just wanted to kind of introduce that Stanford so that we can start to begin to canoe up a different perfect and i think i'm going to work backwards from what you said because i think you end up with about pleasure or the emotion you get from food and my big example for that would be chocolate i often tell people i like chocolate i eat chocolate and then most people when they see me in yoga clothes teaching yoga and afterward i said i like chocolate but they look at me it's like but isn't chocolate bad it's like there's nothing bad about chocolate you know it makes me happy well, you know, so some other food do that too, but chocolate makes me happy quickest. So by definition, it's as good. It will be bad if I go down chocolate all day, every day and eat nothing else. And, you know, anyone can tell me that will be bad or um, I can tell myself that most certainly. And I it's think a that, It's a drug. I mean, how can you take a drug? Well, it's a happy pill, you know, taking moderation. I think I believe in moderation, even including moderation itself. So that's, that's my preview. But I think that also linked to carb. Um, I think me and the friend was talking about this the other day. A lot of the diet that we now focus on nowadays is cutting out carbohydrate. Is all carbohydrate bad? Absolutely not. First of all, fiber is also classified as carbohydrate in science. It's also polysaccharide. Poly means a long chain of. Saccharide is the sugar molecule. So like glucose is a saccharide. So fiber is also a type of carbohydrate. And we all know we have to have fiber, at least if nothing else, for our cholesterol and our bowel health. But also carbohydrate is our main uh, energy source. Um, not just from the complicated one that you get from your rice, carbon, um, pasta and everything. Even in the... Chocolate, even in the sweets, the biscuits that you take, they actually still give you energy. So at times that you need energy, any form of carbohydrate would be a good thing. Obviously, the bad thing comes from when we are overeating them, when we're eating them for pleasure, and that's when we hit a wall and problems. Because in nature, these small drops of sugar, very intense dose of sugar, is actually given as incentive. Think about fruit the nectar, the pollens, they're incentive for animals, bees, birds to take those fruit, eat them, and in their droppings, drop the seed so that they can spread. They are meant to be incentive, they're meant to provide pleasure, but they're not meant to be addictive, or they can be addictive, but they're not meant to be, and they're not meant to be overeaten, because in the natural world you don't see those. However, obviously we are slightly more clever, 
and we get and have a big uh, manufacturing um, process that we can do those. So I think sometimes maybe one of these food groups that we um, had to think about of not overeating is, or thinking that they're the bad food, food group is actually shouldn't just overeat them, should only moderate what you eat. And um, diets like the Atkinson diet or the ketotic diet, actually they're really, really bad for your body in general because if you are going out with a long period of time for no carbon hydrate, you actually put your body into a starvation mode. Hence why you call those ketotic diet because that's a byproduct that your body produce ketones so that your body still have that energy source because that uh, your brain can only function either with carbon hydrate, sugar, or keto. And that's why if you know anyone who's been through a ketotic diet or you yourself have gone through it, you know that your breath start changing, start to have that kind of sickly sweet ketotic smell or taste to it. And that's telling you actually your body's suffering is going through starvation, it's not meant to be, it's not good. And I think I'm gonna end with the first point that you say, which is the good fat. And having fats in your body is also really important as one of the first thing that most people, most of us cut out when we're on diet and probably not the wisest thing. Fat is actually a major constitution to our cells, all of our cells, because it actually make up the cell wall. Something called uh, lipoprotein, something called, um, oh my God, I'm losing <laughs> phospholipid. Uh, so it actually forms all our cells, especially to our skin as well. So just for our body health in general, especially if you want to have good skin, if you want to have good lubrication from our sweat gland and things like that, you do need fat. Also, fat is very important, as I said earlier on, to absorb certain nutrients. So like vitamin A, especially D, E and K, these are what some of the few ones that are only fat soluble. So if you don't have enough fat in your body, you actually can't take those in no matter how much you take supplements. They just won't go in. No matter how many calories you eat, you will not have enough vitamin A in your body because it simply cannot be absorbed. They're not water soluble. And the last thing is this, fat's actually really important because it's lubrication. It's very important for our bowel as well. We know that, you know, in order to have a healthy body, in order to, you know, have a healthy diet, also a healthy looking body, you can't be constipated. You know, constipation is one of the biggest problems, and maybe we'll talk about that one day. Um, but actually, in order for you to your bowel to move regularly, fat is very, very important. Sometimes, you know, we might have experienced it if you have a fry up or something really, really greasy at the greasy spoon and they kind of have to run afterward, that is kind of what the fat is actually doing to your bowel. They stimulate it, but at the same time lubricate it so everything can come out very easily. So if you are constipated, you're on a diet and you know, you're kind of troubled by both, that can be something that you can think about as well. And also just illustrate why cutting out fat entirely is not good. Good fat in moderation would be a good idea. Colin, what do you think? I think it's brilliant and accordingly within yoga there's a relationship between fat and bones and bone strength and fat and with the right fat and what we mean by the right fat is yellow fats so the right fat used on a regular basis consistently there's a nourishing of the bone and a reduction of things like osteopenia later on in life so I, I just want to add to that and I want to pick on up something else you just said beautifully as well um, with regard to moderation, um, with regard to moderation of eating too much, eating too little, going to a certain extremes, such as you know extremes of fast or extremes of particular foods. So finding and, and working with the middle road, I think, is is one of the most important things. It's not. I'm not talking about boring food or making food really boring. It's about identifying what, about what is extreme and really being aware of what is kind of extreme with the way that we're actually coming to use food and eat with food. Um, we've discussed, and for me, the quantity is an important thing because, it, it, can I just ask a question? I don't know whether this is a myth or not, um, Stanford. Is it, I've heard this as kind of like a 20 minute time frame between the, taste on the tongue and or the feeling of fullness within the system uh, you know am I making any sense for this I, I can't remember this this I don't know if you can expand on this a little because whether the stomach's full how long that sort of signal takes to get up to your head I think it's about 20 minutes is that correct I don't know that sounds about right so the whole 
pathway of hunger and satiety, feel, mm. feeling of a sensation of feeling full is very complicated. Because um, uh, actually the time that you start feeling hungry begins when you start thinking about food. Mm. It's not the actual, you see the food or smell the food, obviously those helps, you know, you, uh, the sensory stimulation actually help your brain to start producing certain hormones, um, like the ghrelin who actually start helping you to feel hungry, but actually start from the thoughts. And yes, from start eating it and start um, to the time that you swallow the food and the food, uh, stomach start getting full, can take up about 20 minutes because um, it changes by the hormone. Hormone, there's always a little bit of delay. And obviously that would differ to other to different people at different time. Some people get full very quick, very easily. Some people get full very delayed, shall we say. That's why there are all these like massive eater who, you know, look really, really tiny and petite and they can just fill their stomach like there's a rubbish bin and there's no bottom, it's like bottomless. You can just keep going and going and going. Um, um, so th it kind of is different for everyone, but 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes sounds about right. Thank you. Because uh, we, we break it into these three areas as well. So prapaka, um, so this, this idea of beforehand. So this is to do with the smells, the taste, the thinking, all the preparation associated with it. And then your paka, which is the actual digestive process itself. And then vipaka, which is the after process of the whole digestive process. Um, so we kind of split it into these areas, but there's, there seems to be a sort of a gap between what happens in the mouth and what happens in the stomach. And it's to be more and more aware of this gap with regard to the quantity, I think becomes important as part of working with diet. Um, and, and also having the appropriate ratios and of foods as well. So within yoga, again and again, there's, there's this this idea of making sure that you leave enough room in your stomach for the digestive processes and the juices to kind of deal with things not having water before a meal not having cold water putting cold water into a system um, or iced water but just having food taking a little bit of time to wait and having some water just a little bit of water after food and then just taking some time to wait afterwards so there's there's a number of these ideas that it, that help the whole way that the digestive process works and the other is um quality of food now i mentioned before that quality doesn't seem to be much of a problem but yet combinations of foods and also within yoga we look at never reheating food so we you never sort of reprocess or reheat foods again and again and again we, we just it, 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 and we're very careful on the combinations of foods that are put together you mentioned something like garlic garlic is a a, a medicine it's addictive. It's very sharp and fast within the system. It affects the blood in the system. So you and I have discussed this before. So each food itself has a different effect into the system. But how we combine foods together can either they can complement one another or they can create contraindications within the system. So it's advised never to put, you know, dairy with meat or dairy with fruit because it creates the wrong type of combination. And I remember, you know, so, so clearly when you kind of, you're staying at a hotel and you go downstairs and you look at the kind of like the breakfast thing and, and there, there it is, there's the yogurt and there's the yogurt with the fruit and there's the, the yogurt with the fruit with everything else. And then you've kind of got like other bits and pieces and you're like, I want to put it all on my plate, put everything on there and eat it all. And actually it's, it's the, the kind of the combination of all of these different things, like ham and cheese sandwich. Like, if you're going to go have a ham sandwich, have a ham sandwich. If you have a cheese sandwich, have a cheese sandwich. But a ham and cheese sandwich, contraindicated. Um, so it's because it's dairy and it's meat together. So it, it's kind of interesting when we start to look at these things. We start to look at combinations, effects, and how these combinations and effects sort of come together. Because there's such a ritual with regard to eating food, and it's the ritual that actually becomes very important with regard to the food process, the preparation, and how we prepare the food, what sort of intention we go through with the preparation of the food, and also how we eat the food and who we eat the food with. And so the ritual of food eating 
also becomes very important with regard to diet how we actually honor the food that we've got whether you know the relationship we have with the food so quite often you'll find that in the east it's because they used to hands a lot don't they stanford you know you just kind of you pick the food up and you kind of you play with it and you kind of stuff it in your mouth and you know that sort of you know the kind of the whole sort of playing thing that you do with food you know you, there's a whole sort of ritual associated with feeling the food about you know the relationship between you and the food the food and you and the mood when we eat how this emotion kicks in and how we go through different emotions when we're eating food become important there is one food just off the top of my head which is the most beautiful food it's got all six tastes within it okay so one food has all six tastes that's one five that's one six six tastes within it, it it's 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 raw honey so you take a spoonful of honey and you put the honey on your tongue and you just let it melt on your tongue and it goes through every single taste all six tastes and so honey itself is a medicine so but we again it's like garlic we use these things on a regular basis consistent basis we use garlic on a regular basis we use honey honey on toast i've got honey in here honey in my tea I, I, I do all these different things but actually it's a medicine it's used to reset the digestive system you put it on your tongue you use it today reset the system and quite often we use it in yoga therapy quite a lot especially when we're dealing with cancer patients that are very nauseous and actually are in a very difficult situation with regard to the fact that they can't eat food you start to give them a a way that the taste can go through all of the different shadrasa all the different six tastes so it, it's 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 kind of interesting because we're starting to look at what we're educated with the patterns that we have with food we're starting to also look at the habits with food with regard to what we need versus what we want as well. And so I, I'm going to stop, stop my small monologue here and hang over, hand over to you, um, Stanford, just for a second. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm literally imagining having a honey, honey on my tongue at the moment. I'm salivating. That's what my mind's doing to my body. And um, oh, by the way, I, I noticed there's not much question tonight, which hopefully is a good thing. It means that we're already answering a few of your questions, if not. Um, but if you still have any burning questions, please start firing them in soon because we are closing towards the an hour mark. Um, I'll, I think I'll just end my bit on um, why moderation is important as well. And I think as you said, it's about our relationship with food and the food's relationship with us, but also to expand a little bit further is about our relationship with the world as well. I think a lot of the time to be a little bit political, you know, how food are being farmed, how food are being obtained and grow in our world, sometimes gone a little bit extremes, like honey is a really good example about that as well. Avocado is another good one. And I think having that moderation and also balanced diets mean that most food industry wouldn't have a favorism, if that makes sense, and you wouldn't overproduce one type of food. And sometimes that can actually do a little bit better to our environment. Um, if anyone have watched that Netflix series called uh, Rotten, it has an amazing episode on avocado and definitely make me reconsider the next time I pick up avocado from the supermarket. Um, but it's just something like that is not telling us not to eat anything uh, or not to eat certain food. Uh, I love avocado, I still eat them, but just, I'll reconsider a little bit. Am I over consuming this? Is this the food that's right time, uh, right place for me at the moment? Is it a delicacy or am I relying on it because I'm substituting it for something else that actually can be locally produced? Actually, probably seasonally is better for me. Um, okay, uh, so De Della, sorry if I said your name wrong, I apologize. What are our thoughts on gut health and its effect on our emotional immune system? So from my point of view, um, Western medicine viewed the gut now like the third brain, maybe fourth. Uh, I don't know, we seem to keep finding all these brain in our body nowadays. Uh, but that's a really complex uh, nervous system uh, plexus within our gut. So actually, if your gut is healthy, and now we're talking about like microbiome as well as the whole motion of your gut, 
actually affect your mind, it will balance your emotion a little bit as well. So there is a saying, a correlation. And I think there are a lot more studies uh, between psychiatry and gut health as well. So they are going. Uh, personally, I really think it's important in order to have a good gut health, you will feel better in general anyway. Um, but Colin may have something more to say on that. Uh, I, exactly the same with you. Um, we look at if you have, if your digestive system is healthy, if it's a healthy digestive system, you'll have no issues at all. It's the start of all disease is in this area here. And so quite often the effect of our emotions, if you, feel, if you think about things like IBS, if you think about these sort of conditions, quite often what we find is that we find that with very powerful and strong emotions in the mind, our digestive system will be affected. If you think about your nervous for something, so you're going to go, let's say you're going to go and perform or you're going to do something, you, you, you know, you go to the bathroom several times. It, it, there's a the, the direct correlations between what's going on within the system. Um, if we can keep the gut healthy, if we can keep the whole of the digestive system healthy, according to yoga, we have very, we will, have very good health it will it will prevent other diseases this area here the digestive system is the source and the cause of most other diseases perfect uh next question is from liani i'm so sorry i'm really bad uh, i noticed that there ah uh? irani Irani, thank you. I noticed during lockdown that taste she used to like uh, or she, she doesn't like anymore and that she turned to things that she never used to like. What do we think? Uh, is it just what she wants or what she needs or what we want, what we need? So I personally have a little bit of change during lockdown as well. I, my eating frequency got a lot um, less because I'm not that mobile and also because this summer is quite hot and I seems to be sweating a lot and I was talking to a friend that I used to not like really high fat content food I never really like um, fancy fried food either but for some reason this summer I've just been craving it and um, I think from personal experience um, after I eat it do I feel good or do I feel happy do my stomach feel okay if all that above says yes then it's usually something that I need if actually it's just something that I want at the time, actually I don't feel nice. And that's usually ha what happens when I have pizza. If I have a pizza, I feel bloated afterward. I like, feel like a ton of weight in my stomach and it just weighs me down the whole day. I feel tired and lethargic the whole day. Then I know that probably more just a craving for the want itself or the desire, not physically what I need. But that's my personal example. Colin. What I see a lot of with people that move a lot, and whether that's physical movement or whether it's mental and emotional movement, is I see that there becomes a, a pull towards a particular sweet taste of food. So whether that's a lot of mental use or whether it's a lot of physical use, so it's like traveling a lot or um, like going, taking plane journeys or running around a lot, almost in a way to create a heaviness to stop movement, there's a pull towards having a particular taste because that particular taste, what it does is it just makes the whole system go like this to crash. It, 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 it kind of holds it down. So I've seen quite a lot of behaviours like this where there's a lot of emotion going on, a lot of churning that's happening, and people will be pulled by different foods in order to take those foods because it's a combination of things. It's a combination that actually they need it, but they also want it as well. I, I usually crave sugar whenever I'm in training, like yoga trainer, exam revision, and I always blame that as my brain needing sugar. But now I got an answer. Thank you. Um, the last question, I think, uh, Miss Claire is asking thoughts on vegan diet. Um, so I will say again, this is only my personal opinions. I think for me, um, being vegan in this country will be difficult because I. I wouldn't know how to get a good source of protein because I don't like a lot of uh, pulses and beans. They tend to make me bloat a little bit more and I 
my digestive system doesn't agree with them too much unless they've been turned into tofu. So like a Chinese vegan diet, which there is such a thing because there's lots of Buddhas in China, um, that actually will help me quite well. Um, whilst I think if sticking to more like a mixed Western Asian diet, which is what I eat in this country, I will find it very, very difficult. So personally, I don't think it's good for me. But again, I go from the saying that everyone have different constitutions. So it may work for some people. Colin, you can probably expand on this a bit better than I do. Exactly this is that it's constitution specific. So some constitutions suit vegan diets, some don't. So I was working with someone recently who had been a vegan up until the point where the menopause kicked in for them. And at that point, they had to change their diet and take on eating meat, even though they didn't want to for numbers of different reasons. That actually what's happened is that they needed to eat the meat. There was no substitutes, no supplements that could and it was quite a trauma for them to take that on board. So actually, because they felt a lot of guilt associated with it because they were a vegan for particular reasons. So what I see is in Ayurveda and yoga, there's 200 different types of meat classified for different constitutions. So it's not that what you're looking at is you're looking at no everyone should be vegan is that we're looking at lots and lots of different things with lots and lots of different issues um we're looking at belief we're looking at what our body needs we're looking at different times different cultures different contexts different situations and it's very challenging because there is this belief that a yogi should be a vegan or should be a vegetarian. And I remember when I was in Tibet and when I was in Tibet, I was following this kind of route up where Krishnamacharya had meditated around this lake. And as part of the time that we spent there, in Tibet, we discovered they had no vegetables because they couldn't grow anything. So we had to eat yak. And if you've eaten yak and yak butter and yak milk, you'll look at me and you'll just kind of go, mm-hmm, it's definitely not vegetarian. And so the monks all eat all of this stuff. So I think that we also have to look at what is available, what is possible for us to eat, rather than look at what we ought to be or what we identify with, and also looking at if we have the possibilities of making choices, how we make those choices. I don't know if I'm clear with this. I, I'm just trying to sort of give an understanding, which is that, um, which is rather than sort of being fixed about a diet in a particular way, because rules are the things and control and rules are the things that gets into a lot of trouble. And sometimes there's stuff that we actually need and we need to take that on board. And I don't know if this is coming across in the right way, Stanford. I'm I'm getting it, and I'm definitely seeing a few mm. nodding heads again. Um, mm. I think I will. I, I picked up something else that was really good, and we didn't even have time to go into them tonight. Uh, which is supplements. Maybe we'll pick that up another time. Mm. I think uh, if your diet leading you to certain issues, perhaps health problem, perhaps something else, that you need to take supplement, which is a form of. If you think about it, really, is a highly processed, highly extracted, highly manufactured. Um, form of nutrient or diets, then perhaps there are better ways that you can take in these nutrients naturally. That probably, you know, is a good advice from that point of view. Like, so there's no particular diet that will suit everyone. And the diet that works for someone else may not work for you. And you need to think about what your diet's doing to your body a little bit more. And I think 
in general speaking, the broad stroke term is um, my take home message tonight will be seasonal produce, something that's local to you, that is uh, along with your weather, your soil, your water source and things like that, uh, that tend to work the best for myself and people that I know. Colin, your take home message maybe? It's, it's to use your terminology, which is about the middle road, the middle pathway, but it's also to start to create awareness about the cause and effect of the foods that we take into our system and the emotions that we have associated with the pulls that the food has with us and our reach out and grasp towards the food. It's also um, to do with keeping open as well, keeping very, very open. It's, 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 it's the end of chapter one of Yoga Sutra 150. It, it, it's, it's, it's actually, we, we become very, very open. You know, we become very flexible, we become very open, we become very tolerant and considerate and acceptant of other people's perspectives and views. And if someone wants to be one thing, we're okay with it. If we want to be one thing, we're okay with it. But if we need to change, we need to find a way of changing. So this is, for me, what comes out. Beautiful. And I think, well, since we're talking about Yoga Sutra and openness, uh, next month we're going to talk about exercise, not just using yoga to be flexible and open in your body, but also how, what does exercise really mean? When is it too little? When is it too much? When is it just right? Uh, so that will be on the 26th of January, and hopefully we will see you then. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Stanford. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.